Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, I think we are going to need a bigger boat. I think we are going to need a bigger boat. One of the most famous movie lines of all time, shout it out if you know the movie, Jaws, right? I think we're going to need a bigger boat. It's from the movie Jaws, and I think Shark Week actually starts today, which is like actually a month long, so be prepared for that. But I think we're going to need a bigger boat. The guys in the movie have found themselves out in the ocean, right? They're out in the ocean. They're hunting down a man-eating giant shark. When out of the water emerges the giant white Great white shark, right? And we do mean giant, right? It's, it's huge, and it looks like this shark can not only eat the men on the boat, but it's going to eat the boat in and of itself as well. It's a huge shark. In one instant, right, in one instant, they realize that they are no longer the hunter, right? these guys on the boat. In one instant, they realize that they are the one that is actually being hunted. And in that moment, the men realize they're not even remotely ready for the battle that is about to take place in the Jaws franchise, right? All the movies, they're not ready, right? These guys, they don't have enough ammunition to take out the shark. They They don't have enough engine power on their boat to outrun the shark. These guys, they don't even have the right tools to even step into battle with this giant great white shark. These guys are going to need a bigger boat, as the famous line says. Right? They're just not ready for the battle. They're just not ready. Now let me, let me switch gears here to another uh, person confronted with a battle, and his name is Leonidas. Now, you know Leonidas, the, the Spartan king, uh, famous from the battle that he fought in 480 B.C. Uh, against the invading Persian army at the Pass of Thermopylae. Now, this, the, this, there's a great book on this battle called The Gates of Fire, but you probably know him from the movie 300. And I watched that movie this last week probably a billion times because Christina was out of town for work, and it was on TV like a billion times. <laughs> So I watched it every night, and here is the thing uh, about this man. He was real. He was a real Spartan king who was up against an army that was a hundred times bigger than his own. And there's this this famous scene, uh, this famous moment in the book or in the history, in this battle that that is also depicted in a way, not the true way, in the movie as well. And stories say that it went like this. A soldier comes to King Leonidas with some concern, a little worry in their voice and in their soul about the size of this invading Persian army. And he says to the king, he says, their soldiers will be so numerous, there will be so many of them that when the battle begins, their arrows will what? Block out the sign. Right? King Leonidas, he answers by saying this. He says, well, won't it be wonderful to fight in the shade? <laughs> won't it be wonderful to fight in the shade? Now, I'm not that emotional kind of guy, but this gets me every time right here. Right? Right? It gets, what a man. Right? 
Well, don't worry about the arrows. It's, we're going to fight in the shade, right? Man, it just makes you want to grunt, right? And we'll fight in the shade, he says. That's what he says. Now, now Foundry Church, right? This is how I want to answer to a seemingly insurmountable battle when I'm faced with one. I, I want to answer like this. Oh, I just, I'm just going to fight in the shade. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to fight in the shade. But honestly, man, if I'm honest, I find myself more often than not saying, I think I'm going to need a bigger boat. I think I'm going to need a bigger boat. And that's usually what I say. I'm more like the guys in the movie Jaws than I am one of these Spartan warriors. I'm not ready for this. I did not sign up for this. This battle is going to be too big. I think I'm going to need a bigger boat. Now, does anyone ever feel like that? Is it just me? Or do, do we? Right? We're, if we're honest, sometimes we, we all feel like that, like the, the guys in the movie Jaws and not a Spartan. Right? We find ourselves feeling a little unprepared for life. A little unequipped, like, like you showed up to war and you, you forgot your armor, your arrows, you left them on the shelf by the door, right? I don't know where you keep your arrows, but that's where I would keep mine, right? You, you show up to the, the battlefield and you don't even have shoes on, you're barefoot, you're not ready to step into the field of battle, and you're thinking, man, I... I really remember wanting to have kids. <laughs> I think. I think I remember wanting to have kids, but now this teenager is going to be the death of me. Right? It's a battle. I thought I loved this person, but now that we're married, I'm not even sure I like them. <laughs> How are we going to survive this? Right? I was only supposed to be in D.C. for two years, but here I am all these years later, and I'm exhausted. Or, or we're thinking, here we go again, one week, one week left in the month, and we have no money in the bank account. I don't think I can keep doing this. And so here is the question today. Hey, here's the, uh, the thing that we're going to unpack today. The onion that we need to peel this morning. How do we move in our life, how we live our life from saying, oh, I think we're going to need a bigger boat, to being able to, to proclaim and have the confidence of saying, well, we'll just fight in the shade then. Right? How do we make that transition? Or better yet, let's answer this question, the question of how do we get battle ready? How do we get battle ready? Because when we say why we gather at the altar, one of the, 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 the things we do here at the foundry, right, our, our, our system, right, we gather at the altar each week in worship of our Lord, to take communion together, to proclaim his greatness and his grace and his truth over each other, right? It's getting us ready for battle. That's why we gather. And so we've got to ask this question, how do we, when we gather, get ready for battle? Because that is what we do when we gather here each Sunday morning. Right, that is why some of you were invited by your friends this morning. They want you to know that when they gather each Sunday around the altar in worship, they are getting ready for battle. That that's what they're doing. That when we as a church, the army of the kingdom of God, gather to adorn him in worship and to proclaim his greatness, to live in and to share his grace and to truth with each other and with the world, that when we remember his sacrifice of his son through communion, we are getting ready 
for battle. And so that's what we're going to discuss this morning. That's the onion that we need to peel. But first, let me, let me zoom out here for a quick second. Listen, this isn't news to anyone, but I, I hate to break it to you, but everyone in here, everybody watching online, all of us, uh, we're fighting a battle of some sort, right? Just being honest. Everyone in here is working through something, processing th- something, and, and we know this. Right? Some of us are struggling to get out of the, uh, the bed in the morning. Some of us are struggling to come home at the end of the day. Everyone in here has something that they feel like they are not ready for, not equipped for, that they're not ready to fight. Right? And listen, that includes me. It does. It includes me. I, I am fighting too. And listen, sometimes I feel like I left my shoes at home and I showed up to the battle barefoot. That's just how I feel. I'm with you, right? So, so how do we change that again? How do we change it? How do we answer the question, how do we get ready for battle when we gather around the altar for worship? And to answer this, let's go back to the original warrior king, the God that we're forging our life on. Right? So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew is where we're going to be in just, a, in just a minute. And if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And you can take those with you. Those are free for you to have, to take, to give away, just to keep. All right? And when we're talking about battles, maybe it's the things that I mentioned. Parenting, marriage, work, the stresses that are always there in our life. But maybe it's also, how do we step up and fight for what our Lord is calling us to do? How do we... we, how do we live and, and thrive in the purpose that he has for each and every one of us? Right, the God that we're forging our life uh, on. Right? What's the purpose he has for me? And how do we, how do we fight for that? How do, we, how do we accomplish that purpose? And again, right, as, you're, as you're turning to Matthew chapter 4, a little over 2,000 years ago, there was this guy named Jesus. Right? No big surprise that we're going to talk about him at church today. Right? He was preparing for the biggest battle of all time. You see, Jesus, he, he did not just come here, earth, to be nice. He didn't just come here to perform a few uh, miracles and hug everyone, give them a pat on the back, and then leave. Right? Not what he did. That's why we celebrated communion. He went to the cross for us, right? And, then, and he walked on the grave for us. He came here to deliver the deciding blow in a fight that had been going on since the dawn of time. And he was up against great odds, great darkness. And, and in his life, and in his words, and what we have in our scriptures, we can find an answer to our question, how do we get battle ready when we gather for worship? Right? When we gather around the altar, what is the benefit Right, how does it get us ready? All right, so Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to start today. And just here's a little bit more context. Right, before Jesus was baptized, and, and, and then right, before what we're going to read today in Matthew 4, Jesus was baptized, and then he was immediately brought into a fight with the devil himself, where the devil tempted Jesus for 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. Right? They were fighting back and forth and going back and forth. And then Jesus leaves the wilderness. And the first thing he finds out, what we're going to read here in a minute, is his cousin, the man who had baptized him. The man who had prepared the way 
for Jesus' ministry to begin had been thrown in jail and was sitting with a death sentence over his head. Right? So Jesus, he's at a low point. He's at a low point. He's tired. He's tired, right? He said earlier that the angels had to nourish him. He's looking for a bigger boat. And he's, he's in the, that stage right now. He's, oh, the battle. I think we're going to need a bigger boat. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. So after all that took place, it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once, and they followed him. Verse 21, it says, a little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come too. And it says they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So what does he do? All right, the, the first thing he does in order to get battle ready, what does he do? He does this. Look at it here. He enlists an army. He brings people alongside of him. Jesus is feeling the weight of the war. And what does he do? He builds a community. That's what he does. He builds a community. He brings people alongside him who are going to fight with him. Sure. All right, Jesus, he, he needed his alone time. Right, we read about that, him going up to the mountains to pray. He needed times of solitude, right? There's times where we read he was taking a nap, right? right but most of his ministry <laughs> took place in the context of community. And he did not ask these people to join him so they could just handle the day-to-day -day operations. That's not why he asked them to come and follow him. Right? He didn't ask them to, hey, just handle the money so I can do the important stuff. Or, or you make hotel reservations or, or, or figure out the transportation and the food. Right? That's not why he called them to come apart and be a part of this community, a part of this army of his. Right? Sure, they, those things happened, but that's not why he built this army called the disciples, this, this community, this community of, of brothers and sisters. Like, this, this is why. Right? Jesus deliberately chose to surround himself with people because we need community to survive the battle. And again, right, not just the, not just the battle of everyday life. Because that, hey, honest, right, there's stresses, there's worries, there's concerns. We got stuff all of us, right? But also figuring out the purpose and the direction and the will that God has for us, right? We cannot survive without joining together with like-minded people, without standing shoulder to shoulder with a community, without enlisting an army with us. One of my, my favorite authors, Seth Godin, makes this observation. He says this. He says, human beings cannot help it. We need to belong. Right? One of the most powerful survival mechanisms we uh, have is to be a part of a, a driving force that contributes. Right? A part of a, a tribe of people who contribute to and take from a group of like-minded people. Right? 
And Jesus knew this. He was both fully God and he was fully man. He knew that if he was going to be able to have the confidence to, to stand up and to proclaim, well, we'll just fight in the shade, right? if he's taking that posture, right, he's going to have to have the confidence and the support of others with him, that he can't do it alone. And that is one of the reasons why we gather, right? Why it's important for us to gather and worship, to, to um, be here each Sunday, to be a part of a community. Why uh, we come here to the Foundry each week to stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder with our brothers in arms just like we were created to do. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher and theologian from the mid to late 1800s in London, put it like this. He says, some Christians try to go to heaven alone. They try to go to heaven alone in solitude. But believers, I would say people forging their life on God, we take that serious, right? But believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander around alone. Those who belong to Jesus are sheep in this respect, that they love to get together. Sheep go in flocks, and so do God's people. When we, God's people, come here to this place, when we gather at the altar together Sunday at the beginning of each week, we take a step, Foundry. We take a step toward building an army to fight with us. Right? When, we, when we gather here each week, we take a step out of isolation and toward community to be battle-ready, to be equipped, to be resourced, to be a driving force, right? to be a group of people called out for a specific purpose and a specific task, and that's what church means. It's, a, it's not a building. It's a group of people who are called, a community that is called for a specific purpose and a specific task, right? You may have heard it said that going to church does not make you any more a Christian than standing in a garage makes you a car. That's true. I wish if I went into a garage, like, I would become a car. That would be really cool. Doesn't work that way, right? right? It doesn't work that way, and it's the same thing. This is true. But the church is not a place that you just stand in. It is a community that we grow in. Right? And I would argue that here at the Foundry, a community that we forge in. Listen, following Jesus does not happen in a vacuum. Following Jesus happens in community with people who come alongside you and say, me too. Me too. And I know that that statement has some baggage in this world, but in the church it means this. Right? When we say, me too... When when you feel alone, does it not instantly make you feel better when someone says, hey, me too? Right? Right? When when you are on your last straw with your kids and you just want to, you know, right? Does it not make you feel better when someone says, hey, me too? Or when you feel afraid and you, you you have doubts about forging your life on God and questions about what it says in his word. Just, you're just not putting the pieces together and you're trying to figure things out. And, and, and you hear someone say, hey, me too, let's figure it out together. Right? Those words connect us. Right? They're, they're powerful in that regard, in that respect. Right? Community that comes from gathering at the altar each week has the power to change our lives, the power to help us fight, and the power to win the battle together 
to be battle ready. So when we offer up, when we offer up ourselves to be honest, trustworthy, to be vulnerable, everybody wins. Right? When we show up, when we gather as the church, right, we, we win. You win. The community wins. Our friends, our neighbors, the world wins. And being battle ready is the result. Now, Pastor Andy Stanley, he says it this way. He's a, a minister down in Atlanta. He says two things make a relationship providential. When we hear from God through someone and when we see God in someone. <laughs> Foundry Church, when we gather at the altar, when we step up to the table, as our strategy says, right, doing life together, when we're in community together and we, we go out to the square, meaning we, we serve the world for, for God and his kingdom, when we do these things together, we are available to each other, to, to see God, because when life is hard or when life is overwhelming or just downright busy, sometimes it takes the voice of someone else for us to hear what God has been nudging ab us about all along. All right, so that's one thing, right? Enlisting an army, community, that's why we gather. Another thing is this, right? It's, it's that we have, to, we, have to, we have to not just gather together, but we have to make sure we're doing it with a specific person, purpose. Let me, let me illustrate this before we get into it by telling you a story about one of my friends. His name is Christian Jarrett. <laughs> I'll probably share this with him later because it's funny. But Christian and I, we played football together in college. And in the spring, which was the worst time for football, right, like no one, and if they tell, if a, you meet a college football player and they say they like spring season, like the spring off season where they're, they're lying. They're just lying, right? It's awful. It's hot. The coaches don't care, right? Their goal is to make you, like, throw up, like, right? There's no games, so it's just it's, their job is to torture you, and that's what was happening. We were all working out. We were all sweaty. We were all, like, just giving it all we had, and it was hot, and it was sticky, and our coach finally said, enough is enough, right? He, he pulled us off the hills, we're running hills, we're lifting weights, we're doing stuff, and he says, enough's enough. You guys aren't giving your best effort. You guys are, are, are just not doing it, right? You're not giving all that you have. The only one here who actually cares and who's actually working hard is Christian, Right? Christian's the only one out here giving everything that he has. He's wearing his stupid puka shell necklace, and he's giving everything he has, is what the coach is yelling. And Christian is awful, is what the coach said. Right? Christian's awful. He's never going to play in the fall. He's just awful. Right? But he's giving everything he has. He has no chance of seeing the field. And he's just going on and on and on. And listen, poor Christian. All right? he, we were laughing, but he tried his best. But he was just plain awful, right? No one seemingly ever told him, right? He had dreams of, of playing football for his career. It was never going to happen, right? right? But with those words, while they were hilarious for the rest of us, they changed the trajectory of his life, right? right? He, he knew that he could work harder than anyone else. The coach said that. He knew he could work harder than anybody else, and so he did. But he just had to find something else, to work hard at. And now, right, Christian, he runs marathons in his spare time for fun. Right? He's, 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 he 
found something that he was good at. It wasn't football. It was just running, right? <laughs> kind of made sense once we saw it, right? But here's the point of the story. Words have the power to completely change a person, don't they? Right? Words have the power to completely change a person for good or for bad, <laughs> Right? Every day people are hurt, humiliated, alienated, or disappointed by words. If you walk into any school, any workplace, and it won't take long to see that, that this is true, that words have this power. Words matter because they contain power. Right? Just think about how many words you have read or heard today. You know, on your phone, signs on the way here, billboards, whatever, news, whatever it is, Right? Words, they're everywhere in our lives. Right? Just think about how many things we see, how many things we hear. Research shows that for every one positive word, get this, for every one positive word that you hear, you will hear six negative words. Think about that. For every one positive word that we hear, you will hear six negative words. That is a big difference. You're lame. Right? You're not good enough. <laughs> you, you look weird. You're so loud. You, you work too slow. Oh, you're still single? Right? All of these are negative statements. And what happens when you hear these words over and over and over again? It starts to change us. Right? It, it, it distracts us from our purpose it, it weakens us. It keeps us from proclaiming, hey, I'm going to fight in the shade. Right? It keeps us from being battle ready. So, so what do we do? What, what did Jesus do? Let's take a look at John chapter 14. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel. John chapter 14 is where he kind of illustrates this. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. You can use that Bible uh, app, the version, or download the Foundry Burke app, and it's there, already pulled up for you. Or use the Bibles in those seats that are in front of you. All right, verse 25 through 27, it simply says this. I am telling you these things. This is Jesus. I am telling you all these things. He's given them words, right? He's given them encouragement. He said, I'm telling you these things. I'm telling you this stuff now while I'm still with you. But when the Father God sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Words, encouragement, right? I am leaving you with the gift, a gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. This is only a gift that he can give, right? So Jesus, he's about to leave, but he wants to encourage his disciples, that army, that community of his. Right? And he knows that they'll have to fight on, that they're going to have to continue with the battle. And so he says, I'm leaving you with an advocate. And the original word here, uh, some of the translations that you may have says to comfort or I'm going to leave you with a, a comforter, or a counselor, or an encourager. Right? Jesus knew the battle was going to be tough. He knew that they would hear things about themselves and from the world that would tear them down. That there's going to be all those negative words. And so he left them with what he needed, with what they needed, and that was encouragement. 
And we knew that we needed this when we gathered together, right, in order to get battle ready, that we would need this encouragement. And it's a fortifying encouragement. It's a fortifying encouragement. That is uh, another reason why we gather around the altar each week. We need fortifying encouragement to be battle ready. Right? When we hear you're broken by, the, by the, the things that we have heard in this world, right? the experiences that we've had, when we hear those things and we're broken down and we're beaten down, right? we need encouragement from our army, from our community that fortifies ourselves and our spirit again. Our hearts need encouragement and our souls need it. We need encouragement and we experience that in community with God's people. We need God's people, the army that we enlist to provide the encouragement, the power of the Spirit of God to speak through each other and for each other and with each other. New Testament scholar Murray Harris said it like this, encouragement is one of the most important ministries in the church of the New Testament. And that's the type of church that we strive to be, the church that we read about in the book of Acts. And he's saying encouragement for each other is one of the most important things we can do. And let's, let's be clear here, right? Real encouragement is a lot more than just saying hi as you walk in from the parking lot into the church. It's, a, it's more than just leaving a comment on someone's Facebook page. Real encouragement is what it feels like when the gospel, the story of Jesus, what he did for us, the good news of Jesus moves from one believer to another believer, and truth and grace are revealed and grabbed a hold of tightly. Right? When we gather for worship, when we step up to the table in community together, when we share meals and play games and just have fun together and we help each other and we serve together, we, we, we support our communities together, right? when we witness what it's all about, that is fortifying encouragement. And that's what we experienced last Sunday. After service, we had a couple baptisms, right? Hey, if you buzzed out real quick, you missed them because they did it after service. But this is what it's all about. That's fortifying encouragement. Right? That's what it's about. That's, that's what encourages us and guides us and builds us up as we hear the gospel, as we share the gospel, as people grab a hold of the gospel for the very first time. Right? We step into a place that reminds us of a Heavenly Father who is for us, who created us, and has a job and a purpose for us. For each of us, you're reminded of that. You have a specific task from the God of the universe, the creator of all things, for you. Negative words contain power, power to make us feel less than or alone in the world. When we gather at the altar, when we step up to the table and serve out into the world, in the square, right? When we, we step away from being alone and wandering around without purpose, when we show up, we say yes to being equipped and encouraged so that we can continue to fight, so that we're, we're more battle-ready and encouraged. Right? When we, we take those critical words that we've heard spoken by someone else or even ourselves to ourselves, and we replace them with the good news of Jesus, and when we replace them with the gospel, we can hear things like, oh, you don't have what it takes. And we can replace that with what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, with where we read, all things are possible. It doesn't matter if you don't have what it takes. All things are possible with me as your Lord. 
Right? We could hear things like, oh, you're too weak to get it, or, or you can't get it finished. We can come to the house of the Lord. We can get in community together with our army, right? And we can hear what the Lord says in Matthew chapter 11, where he says, I will give you rest. I will build you up. I will make you qualified and equipped, right? I, we can hear you're unlovable, <laughs> We can hear that, but we can get together in community and we can read and study John 3, 16 where it says, I love you. I'm going to send my son to the cross for you. All right, we can hear you all amount to nothing. You have no purpose. You have no direction in life. You're not going to accomplish anything. And we can read Proverbs 3 in our community together that's going to fortify and encourage each other. And where it says, I will direct your steps. I will give you a purpose. I will give you a direction. You have something important to do that only you can do. Right? right? We, we hear you can't. We hear that a lot in this world. You can't. But Philippians says, and not just one thing, right? You can do all things through the power of the Lord that you're forging your life on. Right? Most of us are likely hanging on by a thread. Right? Just being honest. We all like to pretend to be tough. And a few negative words could shape us or define us. But here, in this place as the ecclesia, as the church, this group of people called for a specific purpose and mission, right? around the altar when we gather in this army, those words disappear. And God speaks encouragement, fortifying encouragement over you. He speaks truth over you. He builds you up. He dusts you off. He guides you on your way. He puts you back in the battle. Over and over again. Coming here, being in community with Jesus' followers is the ultimate pregame speech that gets us battle ready. Right? When, we, when we come to church, when we gather at the altar, our, our soul finds the encouragement it needs to walk through the rest of the week. It finds the encouragement it needs to combat the negative to fortify ourselves for the battle. And now I, I, I want to finish peeling this onion this, this thought by thinking about this. Right, the, the last thing, and the most important thing, really, how we get ready for, uh, for battle by gathering together around the altar each week is this. Right, sometimes we don't just need a community, this army that we enlist, and, and encouragement, but we need to hear the truth. And we need to experience some grace. Right, today we hear a lot about my truth, their truth, his truth, her truth, whatever truth, just whatever, right? Listen, when, we, when you are in the battle, there's only one truth. We are forging our life on God. He's the truth. Right, so the final thing that we can do to get battle ready as we gather around the altar each week is anchor ourselves in the truth. We can anchor ourselves in the truth. When everything around us leaves us wondering what is true, what is right, what is noble, when we are asking ourselves, how do I win the battle? Well, we take one look at the people, at one of the people in Jesus' enlisted, that he enlisted in his army of the disciples. And it's a guy by the name of Thomas. Right? And we know him by what? Doubting Thomas, Right? Right, we know him by Doubting Thomas. Poor guy, he's remembered for centuries as the guy who doubted that Jesus was alive, that he actually came out of the grave, that he was resurrected. He looked at the world around him and he thought everything was lost. Right, forget about fighting in the shade like we talked about earlier. Right? Right, he wasn't, he wasn't going to fight at all because he didn't know who or what would happen next. 
He was even past saying, I need a bigger boat, right? right, Look at John real quick. John chapter 20, verse 24. John chapter 20, verse 24 simply says this. He says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or in our case, Doubting Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came, when he came back and appeared to them after he resurrected on Easter Sunday. They told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into his wound on the side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And he said, peace with you, he said. All right, first, let me say this. If we zoom out here and look at the story of Thomas, Thomas is doing what we already talked about. He is staying with his army. Even though he's having some doubts, even though he's struggling, he's still committed to community. And he's honest with them. He's authentic with his army. He's welcoming that, and the other disciples are welcoming that. He says, guys, I'm having some doubts about this. I'm not sure about this whole resurrection thing, but I'm still going to stay with you. I'm not going to stop meeting with you. And they stayed alongside him as well. They fought with him through the questions about the truth. That's what an authentic army does. That's how you stay battle ready. Right? That's why we gather. Right? Even if you don't agree with everything that we say or everything that we're doing, right? what, what the Bible says, right? if you still have questions, right? you, we realize that there's something powerful about wrestling with questions and doubts and mixed messages with a group of people who are committed to gather at the altar each week right? to focus on God, to give him worship and honor and glory that is only his to fight alongside you right? in purpose of God and his truth and the purpose and the tasks that he's given each of us. Right, so the truth is this, right? Jesus, the son of the living God, came uh, to this earth. He lived a perfect and holy life, and then he paid the price that we could not pay like we've talked about. He saved us from that separation uh, from God, and then as if that was not enough, he beat death and he rose from the grave. That's the truth that we anchor ourselves to. And it's absolute, right? It does not change depending on who's telling the story. It does not change to suit our our feelings or preferences or desires. It is undeniable and it changes everything. And so as I invite the band to come back up, there's this this great story about a pastor, Louis Giglio in, in Atlanta. He tells this story about the time in his life where everything was just going wrong where it was just going wrong. He was confused and having a lot of uh, of doubts about his ministry, about about faith even. And he sent this text to one of his friends, who happened to be the other guy I quoted earlier, Andy Stanley. And he was just venting, and he was complaining and hoping to commiserate together. But his friend replied with these words, Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Right? That's what we do when we start to buy into the lies that are all around us, all those negative words that are around us, whether they are lies about ourselves or lies that we tell ourselves, lies about our family, or even lies about God. 
Right? When we entertain these lies, then we are giving the enemy a seat at our table. Guys, we've already said that we're fighting a battle. That we're all fighting a battle. And sometimes we're just pulling out a chair and we're letting the enemy sit down for dinner with us. Not helpful. It doesn't help. We need to rebuke those lies and we need to anchor ourselves to the truth. We need to anchor ourselves to the truth of who Jesus is. Right? We meet up with other people, our army, our community, like we said, and we fortify ourselves with encouragement and with, with the word of God and we proclaim the truth of Jesus over the battle. We gather each week in worship, in adoration of our Lord, and in doing so, we get battle ready. We realize that we are a part of an army <laughs> when we gather. We get the encouragement to keep fighting, and we have the opportunity uh, to uh, anchor ourselves to the author and the creator and to truth himself, the God that we're forging our life on. That is why we gather each week. That is why your, your friends invited you, to let them tell you of the importance of, of gathering and being in community together each week. It's why we step up to the table and we do life together, we, we eat together, we serve together, we, we proclaim that grace and that truth together in this world. That's what we're about. So let's go ahead and stand and continue to worship here with one more song. <laughs>